The sermon text reading is from Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It literally took Dan longer to get up and go back to his seat than to give us the text this morning. Well, why do this? Why, why spend so much time in one place? I, this summer, I had a chance to do some reading, and I read a book called uh, Confessions of a French Atheist by a man named Guillaume Binon. I hope I pronounced that right. And it's a very entertaining little book. It's not long, and I would, it's subtitled Conf- Confessions of a, is, uh, sorry, it was uh, subtitled How God Hijacked My Atheism and Brought Me to Faith. And Guillaume was about 23, 24, and he was in St. Martin. He had family, an aunt and uncle had a home in St. Martin. Must be pretty nice, right? But he's from France, and he had been a semi-pro uh, volleyball player on the national team, highly successful, uh, evidently pretty good-looking. He talks in his book about all the different opportunities he has as a young person uh, to date and so forth. And he was on this island with his brother visiting for about three weeks. And, and uh, this car, they were hitchhiking across the island. They didn't have their own cars. So they said, well, we just want to explore the whole island. So they went all the way to the other side of the island. And then they said, well, maybe we can hitchhike back. Well, this car pulls up. And there's these two very young American women in it. And Guillaume talks about this in the book. He says, I was smitten right away. And these two women were lost. They had just come from the airport, and they said, we're looking for a hotel. Well, it turns out that the hotel was practically adjacent to the property of his aunt and uncle on the other end of the island. So they're like, hey, can you take us you know, home, and uh, we'll show you where your hotel is. And, well, it turns out that one of these girls, her name was Vanessa, and Vanessa and Guillaume fell in love. And they started right there on the island a romantic relationship. But there was a problem. And so Vanessa dropped two bombs on Guillaume. Number one, she said, you need to know, even as they were uh, being romantically involved, this is, uh, I believe, in abstinence before marriage when it comes to sexuality. And, and so we need to put the brakes on this. And, and, and Guillaume says in the book, he says, I was perplexed. It's like, who thinks this way today? Why would you think that way? And he had talked about some of his book about about his, his past life and his conquest, as he put it, and and, and this was a this was perplexing. This was putting a damper on what he was envisioning to happen here. Secondly, the second mom was even bigger. He said, "She says not only that, uh, but I believe in God, and I'm a Christian, and I want you to know I'm committed to that." Yom says that when she said that, he thought, "Where in the world are we going?" Um, and so he said that after his time in St. Martin, he wanted to stay connected because he's still smitten with this girl, Vanessa. She was a, an actress and a model in New York City, and he thought Paris to New York City, awesome, wonderful. And so we can keep this going. And so he says, but in order for that to happen, I have to deconstruct her faith. And so if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to help her see the error of her ways, that this world is all that there is, I need to understand something about what she believes and so that I can talk with her about this and and sort of lead her away. And so he began to study the New Testament. He said, well, this seems like this is where you should start. If people are Christians, they, read, they talk about the Bible. Well, I'll start there. And he said this. The more he got into one of the Gospels, the more he was captivated, his words, he was captivated by the person of Jesus. Now, that's a little bit of a long story here at the introduction. But that's what I want for us. Not just for a French atheist, 
but for all of us. You know, there's some of you, you have been a Christian your whole waking life. It's the only thing that you, you know of. I want you to be captivated by Jesus, just as much as some of you who are brand new to faith. You're on a journey of faith. And I want you to be captivated for the first time by Jesus. Whether the first time or whether your whole life, what does it look like? Even this summer, all my sabbatical, I was captivated by Jesus. Just being in the Word and just seeing things that I've never seen before, allowing those things. I mean, I felt like I was able to draw closer to the heart of God than I ever have before. What does it look like to be captivated by Jesus? That's where we're going in this series called The Story of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to just give you a, a very basic introduction here. This is not going to be what I typically do in a sermon. Norm, most of you are, are used to me at least having two points, usually even three. I don't even have two this morning. I have a phrase that we're going to talk about a little bit here, and that's it. But, but I want to say this on the front end because we're about to spend a long time with Mark, and so a little bit more than normal, certainly more so than what we do in a series that's more, I don't know, uh, thematic, let's say. I, I want you to get to know Mark a little bit here. Because you may not know this, Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. Did you know that? I think we automatically all think that he was because he's one of the gospel writers. Now, Matthew, Luke, and John were, but not Mark. Mark was actually, we might say, a disciple of Peter. And so he was hanging out with Peter, and, and as he was hanging out with Peter, he began doing Bible on that. He becomes to faith himself. Mark was not, but this is also the shortest of the Gospels. That's part of the reason why I thought we could do a whole book of the Bible this time, right? Like, it's the shortest of those. And one of the things you'll see about Mark is Mark is all about action. It's not just about what Jesus said, but it's also about his works and his ways, not just his words. And so Mark spends a lot of time just going straight to the action. Do not pass go, collect your $200, let's talk exactly about what Jesus did, right? And just brings it right in front and center. And so one of the things I want you to see about Mark is here's this young guy who's probably, at the time that he comes to faith, probably a teenager. But here's what's also interesting. The last thing I want to tell you is an introduction to Mark. Mark didn't write this until 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And it was the first gospel written. Now, that begs a question. And you know, I think you'll see the connection why I'm sharing that here with you. Why did they wait 30 years to write the story of Jesus? And here's the answer. In an oral culture where it's a very small community, mostly greater Jerusalem, we might say, in the first couple decades. They're just doing life together, and they weren't thinking about having to write these things down. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that there were 500-plus eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that would happen orally is that there wasn't a need to write things down, because if someone came along, for instance, and said, well, I saw Jesus shoot lightning bolts out of his fingers one day, well, the eyewitnesses could say, no, that's not what Jesus did. That's, that's not, Jesus wasn't like a, a showman, you know. No, there weren't, there weren't lightning bolts coming out. And so they could easily just say, no, that, that didn't happen. But what was happening after 30 years was that many of the eyewitnesses were passing away. And so Mark and the disciples, Matthew, Luke, and John, realized they needed to capture the story. Why is it so important for us today? Because 2,000 years later, we are still tempted by the same temptations they were 2,000 years ago. And that is to make Jesus into our own image. A Jesus who might shoot lightning bolts out of his fingertips. How important is it that we get to know Jesus as he actually was? And so faithfully rendered Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John telling the story of Jesus along the way. 
Here's what I want for us to do today. I just want us to think about this one verse as a setup for the whole series, right? And it's this. I want you to see that the key word in that one verse, the open verse, is gospel. And I'm going to talk about that here at length. But the key word is gospel. But here's what's important. There are many gospels today. There are many gospels today, just as they were in the time of Mark. But there's only one gospel that will change your life. There are many gospels today, but there's only one gospel that has the power to truly shift, transform, and change the core of your identity. So let's jump in with that in mind here. Verse 1 is right there, and it just says, The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, that word gospel, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you're familiar with that word. Even if you have been around the church, you're at least familiar with gospel music. A lot of people today would say, oh, gospel, that, that's a, uh, obviously a very Christian thing that Christians came up with that word. Well, it, no, we didn't. The word itself is actually a pagan word. Did you know that? Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why do we have four gospels to begin with? Well, in part, it's because they were reaching four different audiences. John, you know, last week we looked at the prologue with Mark excuse me, with Mike, about, uh, about Jesus. And, and, and so if you know anything about John, John is all about philosophy, 30,000-foot view. And so he has this incredible, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, that sort of thing. And, and then Luke, Luke was a doctor. He was also an historian. And so he's very technical, as doctors are wont to be and you hope for when they're doing surgery on you. All right? And so there's that. And there's Matthew, who is trying to reach a Jewish audience primarily. And so it's all about the genealogy. Does Jesus have good Jewish roots? That's part of what Matthew's doing there. But what about Mark? Well, it's that word gospel. Did you know he's the only one of the four that uses the word gospel? Why? Because it's not a Christian word. It's a Roman word. And so who is Mark trying to reach? Rome, the emperor. Now, why is that important? I want to show you a picture on the screen here. This is called the Calendar Inscription of Prien. Prien is a place in western Turkey. And about 120 years ago, some archaeologists came across this stone in the ground. And it has all this. And I want to read just one little section of that here for you. Because I want you to see something about the calendar inscription. It's about Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar, the emperor, at the time that Jesus was born. It says this on that stone. Since Providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations. I mean, this guy's amazing, right? surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he's done. In other words, we're going to go and tell you right now, he's the best of the best you'll ever see. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him, Caesar is the, begin, the reason why it's called a calendar inscription is that they reset the calendar with the birth of Augustus. Wow. Where do we hear that echo? 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Caesar is going to save us from war. He's going he's to do all these things. And it says good tidings. It's the same word gospel in our language. Joyful tidings sometimes. And what would happen is there would be a herald who would go across the whole empire and they would orally proclaim the greatness of the message for, about the emperor or from the emperor as it was sometimes. And then they would write it literally in stone. And so no matter where you went in the empire, in the known world of Caesar Augustus, you would know the good news, the joyful tidings. Do you see what's going on here? Mark is saying there's another gospel. So let's talk about the fact that there are many gospels. Because it's not just that world of, of Caesar. It's our world too. I want you to think, what are some of the gospels, the joyful tidings of our world? What about materialism? What about the, the idea of the good life? Some, some time ago I actually shared this with uh, my elders. I said, look, if you find out that I'm looking at travel websites especially in places as far away from here as possible, you know I'm not doing well. In other words, like, man, if, if, I, am, if I am spending time trying to escape, in my mind at least, to Singapore, to Thailand or Vietnam, you know things are not good for me right now, right? And what is that? What is the good life? The good life is this desire to escape the pressures of our current life, typically. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. You probably have heard the expression, the good life. But the good life is about saying, I want more of something good in my life. Well, why do we want more of good life? Typically, it's because of suffering. Typically, it's because there's something missing in our lives. And if we have more of fill in the blank, more money, more beauty, more good food and drink, all good things in and of themselves, better job, who knows. But whatever it is, the good life is given to us is saying, good news. There's more that you can have than your current life, right? Here's another one for you. Here's one as we approach the midterm elections. Let me tell you, joyful tidings, and that is political philosophy, your political party. Say, man, if we just had more Republicans in office, things would be so much better. If we had more Democrats in office, if we had more progressives in office, uh, if we didn't have the uh, President Trump in office, if we didn't have President Biden in office, right? And what we're doing is, and let me tell you, if you hear nothing else about this part of the sermon, please hear this. Politics is increasingly becoming a new religion in our modern world. Even in my lifetime, I've seen such a difference, especially in the last 15, 20 years. Politics, as we become a mo- more post-Christian and secular society, politics is taking the place of religion. And so we begin to place our faith in someone who will be a savior of sinners like Republicans or Democrats. And so, and so I, you see this, 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 this vision of saying there's good news coming. Like, we're going to overturn the current party that's controlling Congress. Good news is coming, right? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, again, it, it's your achievement at work. Maybe for some of us, though this is hard to believe as a parent myself, for some of you, maybe parenting. If for you is, is, is good news, like, man, if I'm just a good parent, man, salvation comes to my home, at least to my kids. And there's so many different opportunities to hear gospel today. Gospel is not a Christian thing. There were many gospels before the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many gospels that exist today in the midst of life with Jesus Christ. 
And it's so important that we understand and see the power of those Gospels. And not only uh, do we have Gospels, but just as there were heralds for Caesar Augustus to go out to the ends of the earth, we have evangelists today. You know, I, I, was, I was amazed that years ago I learned that Apple has a position on their staff called evangelist. Did you know that? Apple understands the power of evangelism. And that person, you know what their role is? Both in-house at Apple uh, corporate headquarters there in California, as well as outside the organization, is to proclaim the greatness and goodness of all things Apple. Right? And literally, someone is paid full-time as an evangelist. That is profound to me. One of the most secular companies in the world believes in evangelism. And I want you to know this. It's not just corporations. It's you and me. With all those different gospels I named, and we, we could have gone on and on for a long period of time with all the different messages of transformative narrative stories that are competing with this one that would say, your life can be changed. Let me tell you, with every one of those gospels, there are evangelists. And we ourselves are all evangelists. Let me give you just a, just a silly but true example of that. Two weeks ago, Kirsten and I went to a Thai restaurant called uh, T- uh, Tum Pak Pak. It's on Buford Highway. And there's Atlanta Magazine, which I subscribe to. They have a list of the best restaurants every year that they really are saying, these are exciting restaurants. And so I have this list on my computer. And, and every time we go to one, I, I put it in bold that we've, we've gone. And so my goal is to get through the whole list, right? I want to know where's the best food in Atlanta. Some of you know I'm a foodie at heart. And so I'm like, I want to go to the best food. So for Thai food, I was like, man, this is the one. And so we went. And it's in this little shopping plaza, nondescript shopping plaza on Buford Highway. And I'm here to tell you, I've, for 20-plus years, I went to Thailand 20 years ago. And before then and after that, I've had Thai food everywhere. I'm, I'm here to tell you, that is the best Thai food I've ever had. I mean, it was stunning how good it was. I mean, it was so good that as we were eating it, I was taking the sauce, and we saved it. We're like, how far can we make the sauce go? Like, how many vegetables and proteins can we can we cook at home so we just make this? I want second tumpak pak. I want third tumpak pak if I can have it here at home, right? And what did I just do? I'm selling tumpak pak to you. I'm telling you, if you want amazing Thai food, get thee to Beaufort Highway, along with a lot of other amazing, amazing Asian food in particular. See, it's natural. What you do when you're an evangelist, like you just naturally want to tell people, say, oh, Oh, you, you got to taste and, and believe. Taste and see how, how good this place is, right? You know, today Christians often will get a knock on this saying, you know, it's fine for you to have a private faith, but, you know, I just, as soon as you guys start wanting to share about Jesus, I think, who are you to being so intolerant? Like, well, you know what? We do this all the time. It's natural, whether, whether you're a Christian or whether you're a different religion or you're secular. It doesn't matter. We have been designed to share with other people the things that we love. And let me tell you, right now, that's happening to you with all these different Gospels. And here's the last thing I'll share about these many Gospels. You're being discipled. You are absolutely being discipled. Whether religion or irreligion, you are being discipled today to be made in the image of someone or something. The question is, are you self-aware? Are you self-conscious of the process of discipleship? Let me give you my definition right now of discipleship. You know, depending on the pastor up front, depending on where you're at, you could have different different definitions. But let me just, I like this because it's short, sweet, it's easy to remember. It's this, the shape of your life. Discipleship is about the shape of your life. 
How will you be shaped? How will you live your life? The shape of your life. There are powers all around you as we speak that want to shape you into their image. And the question is, is that shape best for your life? Is it shaping into something that you were designed for? You see, that's what Mark's doing. Mark is saying, look, many gospels, I know, Caesar Augustus, he's like the prime, the prime gospel these days here in Rome, right? He's the best of the best at the time that Mark's writing. Augustus has passed the scene. There are other ones, but still the same. They were, with Augustus, they were, were, for the first time ever, were worshipped as gods. I know, he's our everything, he's our savior, whoever the Caesar is on the throne. But I want to take a revolutionary risk, Mark says, in saying there's a better one. You don't know how risky it was for Mark to write those words in a Roman context, gospel of Jesus Christ, the true Son of God. Son of God means Messiah. And there were many messiahs that came forward with many gospels, as I said, Jewish, pagan, and so forth, but they all had the same ending. They ended up not delivering the goods. What Mark is saying, what we're going to see over the next like I said, at least a year, what we're going to see is that there is a better gospel for us to live our lives by. And so just a couple things to close here about that. Like I said, this is more introductory than anything else. But just a few things I want to share about this gospel in that verse first. What he's saying? The gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. First of all, Mark is saying he is the one Messiah. So again, that phrase, Son of God, what you're going to see is it's at the very beginning of Mark and then at the very end of Mark, a long time from now, we're going to see that it ends with the centurion looking at Jesus, hanging on the cross, dying. He says, surely this was the what? Son of God. And what Mark is saying is everything in between the first verse and the very end, what he's saying is, let me tell you how it was that he's the true Messiah, the true gospel with the true message of life. That will captivate your hearts. As I said, Mark was captivated not just by the words of Jesus, but more so Mark than any of the other gospel writers. He does a greater focus and emphasis on the words, excuse me, the works and the ways of Jesus, as we're going to say. So he's captivated not just by what Jesus said, but how he said it. And the context that he said it and how he lived his life. We're going to at times feel like there's a microscope. There, Mark is just deep diving into saying, why did Jesus do what he did? I think it's so good for us to discover this gospel for that reason. And here's what I want to hold out to you. And here's what I want to say that no matter if it's Mark's gospel or whether it's something else that we're preaching and teaching up front, I want you to hold on to this. This is a good way to listen and really take in preaching. Okay? Number one, have one foot in the original story. Right? This is the gospel of Mark in this case. But have another foot in your story. And what you want to do is you want to integrate. You want to interface. You want to engage the original story with our story today. Because if the gospel is true, it should impact our stories today. And so here's the thing. If you want to truly know who you are and what you're made for, you first have to know who Jesus is and what he was around for. Why did he take on flesh? What was the purpose of that journey to earth? The story of his life, his death, and his resurrection. As we're going to see in the story, it's all laid out by Mark in a beautiful way as we travel through the story of Jesus. And one of the things I'll say in closing here is that at City Church, as many of you know, and if you're brand new to City Church, you'll learn this along the way, especially in our DNA groups, disciple, nurture, accountability is what that means there. One of the things that we really believe in is story. 
And as we look at this Bible, we see a story. We see the ultimate story of existence here. And because of that story, it informs our story. Remember, one foot in that story and our story, right? And so one of the things that we try to do in our discipleship, how we are shaped for living, is we ask the question, what is our story? What is God shaping in us? God made me. I'm distinctive. I'm like the snowflakes. There'll never be another one like me. How has God made me to live my life for him and for the world? And, and so one of the things that I believe about, about the Gospels and the Bible in general, because it's one story, 66 books of one story from Genesis to Revelation. One of the things I believe is that there you see the plot line of life. There you see the story as it was intended to be. This summer, uh, one of the things that we did as a family is we went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Okay, Some of you are saying, where is he going with this? Top Gun Maverick. Well, okay, so we're old enough here. Again, remember, I'm trying to embrace senior pastor now that I'm in my 50s. Um, I'm old enough, Kirsten's old enough to remember when we were younger in the 80s, the original Top Gun story. And I had not seen it since those days. It's been that long. And Kirsten was like, man, you know, if we're going to introduce Maverick here, uh, we have to go back to the original story. So the night before we went and saw the theater, we're in our basement watching the original version of it. And I'm telling you, kid after kid started falling asleep right before our very eyes. And by the end of the movie... Kirsten and I looked at each other and were like, I don't remember it being this boring. I mean, we were like, it was so much better in our minds than actually the the delivered product. Like, I mean, yes, there are fast planes and, I mean, Maverick is Maverick, right? Tom Cruise's character. I mean, he he has that, you know, he has that way of being cocky on the screen that just you never forget. And, yes, there's that budding relationship with Kelly McGinnis, the flight instructor, that sort of thing. But, oh, my gosh, there was no plot to that movie. I mean, it was like, what are you, who are you fighting? If you remember, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's like one reference to some, some enemy out there that's never named. And you're like, you're building a whole movie around that. And then we saw Maverick. Oh, my gosh, we're all there watching. And it was like, wow, there's actually a plot. This is what was intended. And I want to share this. I want to say this to you, right? You're living by one of two plots. And eventually you're going to realize that there's a plot, there's a gospel that doesn't bring life. And you'll find yourself, man, I feel bored. Life feels banal to me. I thought it was exciting, but it just flamed out. But man, there's an exciting gospel with a true plot line that will keep you captivated. That will, that will keep you invigorated. That as you, as you go through life and you face the, the pitfalls in parenting and pitfalls in your work and your, how you're wounded and how you wound others, there is a, there's a plot line that speaks to all of that and then some. So I want to welcome you to Mark's gospel. So here's where I went in. You know, one of the things that we say here at City Church is that there should be a so what in every sermon. What difference does it make, Scott, to my life? Remember, one foot in the story, of the original story, one foot in our story. The so what is saying, okay, what difference does it make? Right? What do we do with this? I want to say a couple of things. One, what would it look like for you, leaving here today, say, God, transform. If you're there, God, transform my story. Help me to stay with the story the whole way. And to really be open, saying, my hands are open, saying, what do you have for me? I've read this story before. Or maybe it's the first time you've ever read the Gospel of Mark. Second, if you've never read the Mark's Gospel, let me encourage you with those books that, that we gave you today. I love this. This is actually David's vision in light of the series here. 
And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, start reading this. Maybe go through it once a week. It's short enough you can do it. Or maybe it's a couple weeks. Regardless, spend some time just getting to know the story. Even before we get to the sermon text, you can say, I've already been reading it. That sort of thing like that. Certainly you can take sermon notes on, on the side there where we're preaching or just as you're reading your own personal notes on, in devotion. But let me encourage you to use this. We really want you to feel connected to what we're preaching here on Sundays between the Sundays. And this is our gift to you as a way to do that. And the last thing I really want to say to that is this. Um, that is to say, man, what would happen if we became the people of the book, as sometimes the Christians were called in the early days? And we so loved the Gospels, not just the Mark, but not just the, the Gospel accounts, but the whole story, that we left here becoming the evangelist for a new generation. I truly believe this, friends. I've been thinking about, I've spent 15 years here already. I thought, what's the next 15 years of City Church? What will it look like? I know what the stats say. I know that, that it's a rare thing for a church to have grown in the last three years, right, because of COVID and and the departure and how that became almost catalytic and, and people were on the fringe of faith who've left the faith or deconstructing faith and so forth. I know what the stats say. But I also know this, that on the other side of Mark's gospel being written, the church exploded in beautiful growth. And so I want you to hold out this vision. What does it look like for City Church to be a thriving community for the next 15 years here in the city? To reach an ever-increasingly secular uh, city, our neighbors, maybe even some of us here today, right? But what does it look like to be transformed by the story? So may it transform our hearts, not just on Sunday, but between the Sundays. I'm so excited to join you in this journey through Mark's gospel. But let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity just to come back and be with uh, these people that I love. Thank you for the opportunity to take a, a slow dive into into Mark's gospel, that just simply, uh, like even with some of what I was able to do with my family this summer, that is just to, to slow down, um, drink a wonderful libation, take in the scene, the people, the culture, the language, and just enjoy what parades before our eyes. Lord, give us that vision as we slowly work our way through this story, helping us to see the big picture, 30,000 foot, What's it all about? What was the purpose? Your story, our story, but slowing down to see all the little details along the way. Help us, Jesus, to follow you further up and further in into a vital life. Captivate us with this story. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.